0: Thanks, priest team. All right, well, we're beginning a new, <laughs> a new series. And by the way, I have a little tickle and a little cough, so if I cough from time to time in this, don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm not dying. We're, we're in good shape. What is the most recognized symbol of Christianity? You know what? It has got to be this. Let's hope this presentation software is going to work. For it. There it is. Look at that. The cross. that has got to be the most recognized symbol of Christianity. Okay? But did you know the crosses come in many styles? We're going to give you a little, a little lesson of the cross. Watch this. Take a look at this. <coughs> look at all these different <laughs> crosses. Now, we know the Latin cross. That's the Latin cross right there. But there's the Tau cross. The Calvary cross has steps going up to it, leading up to the, like, the hill of Golgotha right there. There's the Celtic one, Irish, right there. St. Andrews looks like an X. Greek, uh, Maltine. Okay, the next slide right here. Then there's the Basque Cross, the Florian Cross, another Florian Cross, the Maltese again, the Serbian, the Papal. Only the Pope gets to use that cross. Did you know that? Three. Only the Pope uses that cross. The Patriarchal Cross, I mean, you just see them all over the place. You just think that is the cross. My word, in all sorts of denominations and, and uh, histories and traditions, the cross looks very, very different. Let's go back to that Latin cross right here. This is the one that's most important to us and that we see it often. There you go. That's the Latin cross. Very recognizable. But did you know that the cross wasn't always the main symbol of Christianity? That actually happened after several hundred years. See, in the beginning of Christianity, there were other symbols. And by the way, now we're into your sermon notes if you want to take those sermon notes and kind of follow along. Ready? The cross wasn't always the symbol. Sometimes this was the symbol. The symbol of Christianity was a dove. Why would it be the dove? Well, the Jesus' baptism in, in the beginning of the church. And you see this symbol carved in a lot of early church art. But then there's also this symbol, the symbol of the lamb or the shepherd. Why? Jesus is the lamb of God and he's the good shepherd. And sometimes they use that symbol to represent Jesus. And then this one, and you're probably familiar with this one, it's called the fish, which in the Greek is pronounced ichthus. Say that with me. Ichthus, isn't that a fun word? Ichthus. Yeah, you see the fish all the time. Take a look at this. Okay, I want to show you. This is a this is an engraving from the very early first church. You see the fish. The early church actually used the ichthus to represent Christianity. Now, why? Well, let me show you this. Here you go. Take a look at this next one. This is the ichthus. Now, these are the Greek letters. Do you know what those, those Greek letters? You know how to pronounce those Greek letters? Any guess? It's ichthus, okay? That's the Greek word for fish. Ichthyology is the study of fish. That actually says in Greek, trust me, actually I'm going to prove it to you in a moment, ichthys. Now, you say, but that's an X. No, that's not an X, that's a key. It's pronounced key. That's why whenever you see Christmas and sometimes it says Xmas and you think that they're getting rid of Christ, they're really not. The key is that they use that for a long, long time to represent Christ, so Xmas is actually not Xmas; it's Kmas, and it stands for Christmas. And the, that middle one that looks like a, a, an O with a little weird line in it—that's called a theta, and it's pronounced like our TH. So that says ick-thus, and that's not a Y. So don't. This is just the way. It, oh, let me show you two. As a matter of fact, let's go to the next one. You can see what I'm talking about. Now you see this as Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. You see this every now and then, you know, that's why we use the ichthus. But how do they get Jesus Christ, God's Son, and Savior from that? Let me show you. Here we go. The, what looks like the I there is pronounced, and they take it. what they've done is they've taken the, the letters of ichthus and they've used each one to represent a word about Jesus. So they take the ichthus and they say, Iesus Christos Theos Huyas Soter. Aren't you impressed I can do that? So many early mornings with uh, in college learning that stuff. Iesus, Christos, Theos, Huyas, Soter. They've taken each one of those letters and written a word about it. And you know what it's translated? It's translated this way. Take a look. Iesus, that's how it's pronounced, Jesus. Christos, that's how it's pronounced, Christ. Theos, God. Huios. Son, Soter, Savior. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. The early church took that ichthus and they said let's take that each one of those letters and we will write something about Jesus. So every time we see the fish, whether we write in ichthus or not, we all know it's an ichthus because they're all speaking Greek. And they go Jesus Christ God's son savior. And this is the way you see it. That's the ichthus. Isn't that interesting? Aren't you glad you came to church? Yeah. Well, there. All right, here we go. Ready? Yet today the cross is still the number 1 symbol. Oh, I think most people would would recognize the ichthys, but it's the cross. But the cross has caused us some problems over the years. It has. Celebrating the cross sometimes even gets in the way. Now, don't let that bother you. God designed it that way. But let me give you five reasons why the cross has been a little hard for us within the church. Are you ready? First of all, how about this? It doesn't make sense, and it doesn't. Don't tell me the cross makes sense to you because if you do, you're, you're, you're just not being honest with yourself. It doesn't make sense, and I can prove it because God said it wouldn't make sense, and he designed it that way. You're not supposed to understand it. If you can understand it, then it would be your human wisdom that would bring you right to God. Oh, I fully comprehend the cross. And God isn't going to use your wisdom to bring you to him. He uses his wisdom, which to us is foolishness. Take a look at this passage right here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Doesn't mean we understand it. Just means that we see the cross and go, yeah, I know somehow my salvation and my relation with God is healed through that cross. But if you want to really sit down and explain it, well, you kind of get in a little bit of trouble. The world looks at it and goes, what are you talking about? god was nailed to this piece of wood and bled and somehow that saves you what are you talking about it doesn't make not only that it was a source of shame to the early church it was our leader was put to death like a common criminal there's nothing holy and righteous and and magnanimous about the cross when they chopped people's heads off in, in England, back in the olden days, medieval times, they had a very special place where they would only chop the royals' heads off. It's in Tower Green. It's right there in the Tower of, uh, of London, right there. That's the only place. Now, the nobles, they chopped their heads off at a Tower Hill. It's just outside of the tower, and that's where they took the nobles and chopped their heads off. But the few royals who got executed because it was a special privilege were executed at Tower Green. There was nothing privileged about the crucifixion of Jesus. He died like a common criminal. And when they tried, in the early church, tried to tell people about that, they would go, wait a minute. You mean he died like a criminal? Matter of fact, this is what the Bible says. Take a look at it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its what? shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even the Bible says it was a shame. It was, the Old Testament tells us that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And everybody knew it back then. You mean you died like that? Shame on you. It means you were a really bad person. It was also a source of contention, the cross was, as as it was preached, because the early church didn't really have a good theology of the cross. They didn't understand it very well. They didn't know how to preach it, so Paul would preach it, others wouldn't preach it, and and there would be church arguments over the cross. Take a look at this. Paul writes, brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. For some, they they didn't want to talk about it. They want to talk about his resurrection or something like that, but they didn't even want to mention the fact that their own Savior had died on a cross. But how about this? This has been difficult for us because sometimes the cross makes God to be like the pagan gods who required a human sacrifice. Tell me, when your children break relationship with you, Do you have to kill something before you forgive them? It was the pagan gods who required a human sacrifice. And every now and then we actually take the cross and we turn it into that almost like God is so mad at the world and he he smells the blood of his son being poured out. Oh yeah, I feel better now. Now that my son's blood is on the ground. Nonsense. But see, the cross sometimes has come across that way. And finally, and this is going to be weird, but it it almost seems ghoulish. What I mean is, we take the instrument of the one that we love, the, the instrument of his death, and we wear it around our necks. Could you imagine anybody else doing that? Seems a little weird to celebrate the instrument of his death. Just around the corner, as a matter of fact, over here on Lancaster, not too far off, there's a group of flowers that's been there for a couple of years, because there were, there were a group of students from Chemeketa there several years ago, when a car plowed into them, and a couple of them died, and so there's that memorial there. And that's what we remember, we use those flowers and to remember that place, but could you imagine any of the parents walking around with, with an emblem of the car that killed their kids around their neck? I read yesterday of a little three-year-old in Texas, somehow got a hold of a gun, and accidentally shot himself and he's dead. Do you think the parents are going to walk around for the rest of their life with a little emblem of a gun around their neck? That they'll decorate their homes with, with guns? Why then would we take the cross, that instrument of his death, and plaster our churches and our sometimes even our bodies with it? Seems a little strange, doesn't it? Well, Beginning today, and taking us all the way through Easter Sunday, we are starting a series called this. What's so wonderful about the cross? You know, we sing that, like, Oh, the wonderful cross, Oh, the wonderful cross. But what's so wonderful about this thing that caused his death? That's what we're going to examine. And it's based on this passage right here. Take a look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We've seen that passage before. It's going to be kind of the passage for this entire series, which will lead us, like I said, right in till Easter. Okay, in the time we have left today, this is what I want to remember. Um, we don't sing about it or wear it or decorate it because it's the thing that killed Jesus. Now, I want you to understand this, okay? We look at the cross, and I've already told you that this is the instrument of his death, and that's not true. Okay? It is not true at all. This is not the instrument of his death. That's why we can wear it. It would be ghoulish if this is the thing that killed him. But I'm going to show you it didn't. You ready? This is it. The cross is the place where Jesus willingly gave up his life for me. Read that with me, will you please? The cross is the place where Jesus willingly gave up his life for me. One more time. Ready? The cross is the place where Jesus willingly gave up his life for me. It is not the instrument of his death. It's not like the car that killed those kids. It's not like the gun that killed that little boy. The cross is not the thing that killed Jesus, and I'm going to prove that to you in just a few moments. It's the place that it happened. And just like over here in Shemecid, where the, the place where it happened, we we decorate with fires and remember that place. We remember the place that Jesus did this incredible thing for me. This is what the Bible says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. We've seen this before. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God's, The scripture says, look at this. Jesus saw the cross, and for the joy set before him, he said, I'll do it. Willingly. The cross is not the instrument of his death. It is the place of his death. Let me show you. Ready? Here we go. Let's remember this. He could have stopped it at any time. From beginning to end, he was in complete and total control of his crucifixion and his death. At any moment in time, he could have said, that's it, all done, and it would have been over. There was a time, as a matter of fact, when he was first arrested, some of his disciples tried to stop the people who were arresting him. Hell, no, 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 don't take Jesus. And Jesus said, whoa, put away your swords. Then he says this, do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that said it must happen this way? Jesus said, you know, all I have to do is say to my Father, come and get me. And he will send 12 legions. Now I want to show you the damage 12 12 legions of angels can do. Already Here we go. It's incredible. We know that, uh, let me show you right here, that that in 2 Kings chapter 19 verse 35 one angel comes in in the middle of this battle and in one night he kills 185 thousand Assyrian soldiers. One angel one night 185 thousand. Okay? That's Incredible. But Jesus wasn't talking about one angel. How many angels was he talking about? Twelve legions. Well, let me tell you that a legion was 5,120 soldiers during the time of Jesus. All right. So that means that 12 legions would have been 61,440 angels who in one night together, can, they can each do $185,000, so we have, I mean, 185,000 people. Here we go. So 185,000 times 6, 61,440 equals, are you ready? Here it is. What is that? 400,000 people. There's only 7 billion people on the planet now. Jesus said, all I have to do is this, and every single person on the planet is dead except me. But I'm staying. choose it. I don't have to do it. I want to do it. See his life, and this is important, remember, his life was not taken. His life was given. This is huge, guys. People have been mad at the Jews for centuries, and you know why? Because they killed Jesus, nonsense. Well, who killed him? Nobody. Nobody. The Roman soldiers did it. No, they didn't. Oh, yeah, they they drove the nails, but that didn't kill him. The Jews didn't do it. The Gentiles didn't do it. Nobody killed him. I want you to understand this. This is huge. Write this down. Nobody killed him. Nobody could take his life. We're talking about God here walking this earth. You think somebody can take something from him? Nobody took it. He willingly gave it. Let me show you this passage. Take a look at this. this is what Jesus had to say about his own death. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Ready? I, I underlined this for you. No one takes it from me. Could you read that and say it with me? No one takes it from me. One more time. No one takes it from me. Who killed Jesus? Nobody. Crucifixion didn't kill him. The cross didn't kill him. The Jews didn't kill him. The Romans didn't kill him. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. He willingly laid down his life, and he gave up his life. Nobody took it. This is what Matthew says about the very moment of his death. All the Gospels talk about that, but some say, you know, he breathed his last, or he had a loud loud cry. This is what Matthew says. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, what did he do? He gave up his spirit. He died the moment he decided to die. Not the moment crucifixion killed him. He died the exact moment he himself decided he would die. Now is the time to give my life for everybody. So much so that's, by the way, uh, one of the reasons that, that people were a little surprised he was dead. As a matter of fact, since it happened to, <laughs> to be on a holy day um, and they wanted them all dead, they w- then went out there to, to break the legs of all the prisoners. You know, there were a thief on one side, a thief and then Jesus in the middle. And the only reason, the only way that you could actually breathe when you are crucified, because you're hanging there, is you, you support yourself on your legs and you take a breath like that. Now, if you broke their legs so that they couldn't support themselves and they would suffocate quickly and they wanted them to die quickly because they wanted to take them down before the Passover. And so they were sent out to break the legs of the, the thieves, which they did, and they came to Jesus to break his legs, but they found that he was already dead. And you know what? They didn't expect him to be dead, because he shouldn't have been dead. Crucifixion doesn't kill you that fast. And a matter of fact, take a look at this. When they told Pilate, this is what we read, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Couldn't even believe it. You don't die that fast from crucifixion. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus already died. When he learned that the centurion, he said he gave the body to Joseph. Pilate said, you're kidding. Why was he already dead? He wasn't going to let crucifixion or human beings take his life. (laughs) He chose the exact moment. He hung there and said, Nobody took his life. He gave it. The cross is the place and the reason we celebrate it, the reason it is so wonderful isn't because he killed him. It's not the instrument of his death. It is the place where Jesus willingly gave his life for you and me. And that's what makes it so wonderful wonderful. But it's more than that. Also, it's, it's also the place where Jesus showed me how deeply I am loved. I don't know how you're feeling today. I don't know if you're feeling loved or isolated or rejected. I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't get inside your head to, to know what's going on. Maybe you've been single so long and you wonder if anybody's ever going to love you. Maybe you've been rejected and you wonder if anybody's ever going to love you. I didn't, see that cross? that cross is the place where someone showed you how deeply you are loved. This is what Jesus said. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This was his prediction to say, you know what, let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you how important you are to me. You don't even get it yet, but in just a little while, I'm going to give up my life for you so that you can live. You are loved with a deep, Everlasting love. Scripture tells us this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus willingly gave up his life. That's the place that he did it. Because he loves us so And this is the first and the most important reason why the cross is just so wonderful. In the weeks to come, we're going to look at all the other reasons because the scriptures say a lot about the cross and what happened on the cross and why we think it is so wonderful. But I need you to stop thinking that this is the instrument of his death or that Jesus died of crucifixion or that the cross killed him. That would be ghoulish to wear that around your neck. This is the place that Jesus Christ willingly, gladly, joyfully gave up his life at just the right moment so that you and I would live. That's why it's so important. Let me give you some examples right here and we're done. See this picture? You know what that is? That's the stone wall at Gettysburg. The third day of the Battle of Gettysburg. The uh, Confederate soldiers, Pickett's Charge, ran against that and the Union soldiers defended it and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men died right there in a hail of bullets. You know how we remember them? We remember them this way. This is the cemetery at Gettysburg. I've had the privilege of walking through there. It brings tears to my eyes to see all these young men who gave up their life. You know what this next picture is? Anybody guess? That's Omaha Beach. As seen today. Now on June 5th, 44, it looked very different. Thousands of men stormed that beach to establish a beachhead so that the scourge of fascism in Europe Would be stopped. And there's nothing there right now that would remind us. So here's how we remember. Take a look at this next picture. It's the cemetery in Normandy. Of all these young men who gave up their life for our freedom. We don't celebrate the guns and we don't celebrate the bombs we remember their graves. And when we think about the love that God has for us and we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us, this is what we remember. What's so wonderful about the cross? It is the place where Jesus willingly gave his life you say that without looking at your notes? Let's give it a try. The cross is the place where Jesus willingly gave his life for me. One more time. The cross is the place where Jesus willingly gave his life for me. And I'll wear it and I'll decorate with it and I'll celebrate it because it's the place that the greatest act of love for me has ever been done, and I want to remember. Let's pray together, and then we can enter into our Selah time. Father, thank you. We, we really have misunderstood the cross. We've been mad at people because we think they killed Jesus, or we felt guilty because we think we killed Jesus. And Father, that's not true. The cross does tell us about sins, and Father, we'll look at that in the weeks to come. But Jesus, nobody took your life. Nobody forced you there. Nobody forced you to stay. You could have stopped it at any time. And you gave your life when it was time, your own time, at your decision to give your life for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus as we continue to move closer to that celebration of your resurrection and Easter, Father, when we see the cross, we want to be able to remember it as that place that your Son so willingly gave his life for us, and we say.